questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. What does the universe hold and hide? Where do we come from? And where are we headed? Why were old texts not included in the Bible, and some were removed? Was it censorship? What is the difference between religion and spirituality? What does consciousness play in all of this? What does science say when string theory and membrane theory both suggest that parallel dimensions very probably exist? When modern science estimates that the amount of quote-unquote normal matter visible to humans is less than 5% of the cosmos, and quantum entanglement theory shows that two particles can be connected despite being light years apart, are we entering an era when science can explain psychic and supernatural phenomena? We'll explore the collision of science, the universe, and the supernatural unknown and probe the physical existence of quote-unquote gods from other dimensions, realities, and times. The myths, stories, history, science, and the psychic phenomena beyond the limits of the five senses. We'll also look at a variety of explanations for the mysteries of the known and unknown universe, including the origins of humanity, alien visitors, channeling, intuition, healing energies, psychic connections, heavenly messengers, miracles, out-of-body experiences, meditation, shamanism, spiritualism, and the future of humanity. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. A theologian, historian, and musician, Jim Willis earned his bachelor's degree from the Eastman School of Music and his master's degree from Andover Newton Theological School. He has been an ordained minister for over 40 years. And directly from South Carolina, a veteran of this program is back, Jim Willis. Hello, Jim, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Mel, Mel it's good to, good to see you. I mean, well, to talk to you. Uh, um, it's been a long time. A lot's happened since we last talked. The world has uh, undergone a, a major shift, hasn't it? It really has. And uh, by the way, let me just, I want to discuss this first, kind of to break the ice. You said when... You retired, and you retired with an agenda, and you said, quote, Okay, God, it's you and me, no structures, no restrictions, no theology, no holes barred, 24 hours a day, you are my only passion. You say that you, you like a challenge, bring it on. Like Jacob of old, who wrestled with God, I had one prayer on my lips, I will not let you go until you bless me. Imagine my surprise when in a totally unexpected way, God answered and did just that. End quote. What exactly do you mean? Wow. Well, when I retired, uh, I'm I'm 76 now, and I retired when I was 62 um, from Christian ministry. Uh, 
And all my life, I had been uh, talking about God, talking about religion. Um, not only was I a pastor, but I was also a college professor teaching world religions. And uh, it was always talking about, it was always lecturing, it was always an academic study. And when I first got into ministry, oh, it was back when I was 21, 22 years old, so I'm talking about 1971, 72, something like that. When I first got into ministry, I, I, I kind of expected that what I would find when I became pastor of a church was a, a group of like-minded people who were uh, looking for spiritual growth and growing together. And it wasn't like that. Being a pastor of a church nowadays is it's just like a business. You know, you've always got to worry about the next thing and you've got to worry about growth and you've got to worry about how to pay the bills and money raising and all that kind of stuff. And pretty soon, 40 years goes by, and you realize the very thing that brought you into the ministry in the first place, you never experienced. So by the time I was ready to retire, I I, I said, okay, that's, that's it. Um, a lot of uh, retired ministers become part-timers. You know, it's, it's kind of fun. Churches need a supply pastor. They need somebody to come in and preach on a Sunday. And you get to kind of bask in your, you know, glory days and bring out your best sermons and all that kind of stuff. I, I just wasn't for that. It wasn't for me at all. Before I die, I had to experience um, that kind of spiritual feeling. And I don't say religious feeling. I'm definitely not using that word. I, that kind of spiritual feeling, that connection with the other. Um, uh, up where I used to live in New England, they, the Native Americans called it uh, Manitou. Or in India, uh, it's Brahman. Um, I call it now the source. I'm not comfortable using the word God because when I say God, I mean something quite a bit different than what most people do when they say God. So I needed to experience that. And I even had a, a, a verse in my mind, a Bible verse in my mind. that, And you just quoted it. I will not let you go until you bless me. Uh, that, that comes from the Old Testament uh, book of Genesis, the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis. Uh, Jacob and Esau were brothers and they had had a big fight and uh, um, Jacob had to flee for his life and so he flew, he, he went north, he traveled north to get away from his brother up into what we now call Turkey, Anatolia probably. Uh, the birthplace where Abraham was born and where now Gobekli Tepe stands and all this came up in that area. But finally he, he he came back and he had had 12, 12 sons who later became the 12 tribes of Israel. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. But it happened that night uh, before they were supposed to meet. Uh, Jacob, his name was still Jacob. It hadn't been changed to Israel yet. Uh, he was uh, worried about how he was going to be received by his brother. And so he was up doing what we all do when we're nervous in the middle of the night. He was pacing up and down. He was outside, of course. He was camping. He was on one side of the river. His brother was on the other side of the river. They had no idea what was going to happen. And so in the middle of the night, the Bible says the strangest thing. He saw somebody, a, a, a man standing there before him. And so they began to wrestle together. Why? I don't know. But as the dawn broke in the morning and uh, Jacob uh, was just about the end of himself, he realized that he had been wrestling with God. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
And Jacob's name was changed at that moment. God, the Bible says that God changed his name to Israel, which means he wrestles with God. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come out here and wrestle with God. Um, <laughs> I would love to tell you a sequel to this story if we have time, because it, <laughs> it's really something. Um, a number of years ago, uh, I was asked to go to Cornwall in uh, in UK and uh, teach a seminar on the beginnings of world religions. And while I was in Cornwall, I had a wonderful time, did a lot of dowsing around the old uh, stone circles, and Cornwall is just such a rich, magical country. So after I finished and met some wonderful people who I'm still still friends with, and I still do long-distance Zoom conferences with them, I had to go up to this little town northwest of London, a town of called Fenny Compton. And the reason I had to go there was because my ancestors used to preach in a church there way back 1600s, 1500s. Um, I had a series of ancestors who were uh, my great, 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 I don't know how many other grandfathers uh, who were uh, clergy in the Church of England. And they used to preach in this little stone church that still stands, the original structure where they, where they used to preach. Well, I had to go up there. There's no doubt about it. And I met the town historian and she took me in and I was able to stand in the pulpit where my ancestors preached. And when I stood in that pulpit just a couple of years ago, I stood in that pulpit and I looked at the stained glass windows that were in that church, the same ones that my ancestors looked at way back when. And one of them was a depiction of Jacob wrestling with God, saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. I couldn't believe it. I had no idea that was there. I had no idea what was going on. And yet that was the verse that was in my mind when I came here. Um, It it just made my hair stand up on it. And I want to tell you, it was really, really something. (laughs) So that's what I've been doing, coming out here to the woods. Came out here to the woods to wrestle with God for one year. So far it's been 13. And uh, it's, it's been wonderful. Great, great spiritual retreat. So I guess in the past two years, you haven't experienced too much of what we have experienced in the big cities, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, You know, it almost makes me feel guilty because we began to social distance uh, 13 years ago. I mean, we're we're living out here in the middle of the woods. I I wanted to get away. I I, I knew that for me, at least, um, if I was going to have any kind of um, meditation experience, if I was going to have any kind of... Uh, spiritual growth. I I just had to get away from the noise and the confusion, and the speed and the sound. Um, I had to get out here where I could literally meditate twenty four hours a day while I was doing my work, and uh, that's what we've been doing. Um, now, of course, I began to write about it, uh, especially when I began to have out of body experiences and when I got into dowsing and and found how to douse for earth energies and those kinds of things. Well, the it, it was a shamanic experience, basically, is what it was. I'm not claiming to be a shaman by any means, but it was a shamanic experience in that after years at this, I was able to go over to the other side and to see the other outside of this materialistic existence. But the shaman does this for a purpose. He doesn't just go over there to have a spiritual thrill. He goes over there to gather information and comes comes back to share. So I had to share. So I began to write books. 
And uh, I think now the last, I just turned two manuscripts into two different publishers that'll be coming out this fall. And I think that makes like 19 so far, maybe 20, something like that. And the only problem is once you start writing books, you have to go talk about them. You want to. You want to share what you have to learn. You want to meet a, a greater audience who's interested in what you are. And so even here in the middle of the woods, I find myself fighting the battle because uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, online or communicating with people or talking about things. And it's really easy to fall back into the old trap again, you know, and, and to become – concerned about what I'm doing and, and see what's happening here and, uh, and enter back into the world, so to speak. And uh, it's very difficult to find that line. It really, really is. Well, I was reviewing three of your latest books, and I, I want to just try to, to make an amalgamation of all of them if we can in the next two hours. <laughs> and the first question that comes to mind, I'm very curious to ask you, in your opinion, what is the difference between religion and spirituality. When I was teaching uh, world religions, um, especially majoring in the in the big five, the three monotheistic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and then Hinduism and Buddhism, but also in terms of uh, Confucianism and uh, and Taoism and all those, I was just amazed by the fact that almost every single one of them. Uh, the only exception is Hinduism and uh, began every one of these religions began with a founder. And the only reason Hinduism is different is that it had many founders, not just one. And every one of those founders had a spiritual experience that was uh, that that duplicated the shamanic experience. Every one of them saw the other side. They had an experience where they. Uh, they heard something, they saw something, they experienced something. Uh, Moses at the burning bush, Jesus going out into the wilderness and confronting the devil. Um, uh, Muhammad going out into his cave where he would meditate until the angel Gabriel came and said, write. And he dictated the Quran to him. Um, in terms of the Buddha, he sat under the bow tree and had to meet Mara, who was the Indian uh, uh, idea uh, equivalent of, of the devil. Um, every one of them had a spiritual experience that was involved in what I call the shamanic experience. And I think it was real. And that is what I call spirituality. It's actually personally by yourself, no middle people experiencing the other side. Religion is what follows after. Religion is invented by the followers of the founders who begin to establish rules and dogmas and, and doctrines and all those kind of things. And they build this great wall and they think they're preserving the original experience of the founder, but they're not. They're, they're capsulating it. And usually they find themselves saying, we're right, you're wrong, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so when I use the word religion, uh, I, I'm, I'm just really dissatisfied with what religion has come. I wonder if Moses or Jesus or Muhammad or any of these people, Buddha, were to come back and look what we have done to their original insight, uh, I think they would be appalled, just simply appalled. I really do. So that's the difference to me between spiritualism, spirituality rather, and, and religion. Spirituality is the God-given experience of the divine. Religion is 
what human beings have built. I respect everyone's beliefs. If anybody wants to go to a church, yeah. temple, yeah. Uh, sure. you know, it's their choice. At the same time, let's pick on certain Christian megachurches where the pastor oh, yeah. owns multiple Ferraris, multi-million dollar homes, and there's some yeah. people who are poor who's, who yeah. give them the money that they don't have. I don't yeah. understand how that is not an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I recently did a, uh, I, I wrote a three volume, a, a trilogy about the rise of ego and narcissism in our society and pathology because we see so much of it. We see it in religion. We see it in politics. Uh, we see it in science. We see it in medicine. These people who come, yeah, I've got the thing. And in, in this trilogy, um, one of the, the, uh, the, the third book in the trilogy is based on the legend of Snow White. And I can't help but think of these, some of these modern megachurches and these, uh, um, you know, evan televangelists and everything else. They remind me of the wicked queen who gets up every day and looks into her mirror. They turn on the computer. It's the same thing. She looked into the mirror. They look into their computer screen and they say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest? of them all and then they look to see how many how much money they brought in how many people joined up or in some cases um, how many people read my website <laughs> now it's getting personal isn't it for me um, you know how many how many people responded to my latest youtube video and all this kind of stuff it's it's just ego run amok and it's be, it becomes first of all narcissistic and then it becomes pathology and uh, that's what's going on in the world today. We don't know how to say enough. And uh, to think that somehow in the name of, well, in the case that you just mentioned in Christianity, in the name of Jesus the Christ, we can uh, talk about all these things that we're talking about out there and just totally turn his, his whole teaching upside down and say, we're doing this in Jesus' name. Come on. I mean that's ridiculous. My my ultimate lately was I, I heard a mega um, a televangelist uh, a couple of months ago who was um, very much involved in not only the religious right the political right and he stands up there in the name of Jesus delivering a sermon that goes out on YouTube so everybody can see it and he said keep your Bibles open and your guns loaded. I just can't imagine what that man is going to have to face when he finishes this life and realizes how far astray he's gone. It's a, it, 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 it's just appalling to me, just appalling. And your wallet's open too. He probably said oh, that. Yeah, off the yeah. <laughs> I remember right. Arthur C. Clarke said once the greatest tragedy in mankind's entire history may be the hijacking of morality by religion. Can someone yeah. be spiritual without being religious? Oh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, I don't think you can be spiritual unless you are not religious. Uh, religiosity, I think, is a, a slippery slope that just leads one way. Now, I'm I'm not saying don't go to church. I'm not saying that because I think in every religion, in every church, in every synagogue, in every mosque, mosque um, if you look into your own well, I call him the software. I take that from Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, who said that uh, God is the hardware, the computer, and all these different religions are software. Every one of those software programs will work, 
they don't speak to each other very well. But every one of those things will work if you go into it and keep your mind open. I still call myself a Christian. It's just that I'm a totally different kind of Christian than I ever was before. Uh, I think in Christianity, you can find all the fantastic metaphors you need to lead you into a tremendous experience of spiritual growth. So I'm not saying don't go to church. I'm not saying don't go to synagogue or skip mosque or anything like that. Uh, I'm not saying that, that at all. But what I am saying is we have to keep our minds open and we have to keep our minds wrapped around the original idea, which was the idea of love and bringing people together and when we look into the histories of some of these religions and we see nothing but war and inquisitions and burning at the stake and all this kind of stuff and, and uh, jihad and all of this kind of stuff, oh, we should be ashamed of ourselves. <laughs> we really should. I remember seeing these two gentlemen some years ago and they were arguing and one told the other, hey, how come you don't come to our church anymore? And he said, well, I've moved to, moved to the countryside now, and I've found that by the lake, by the forest, by myself, I can commune better than being there. And uh, yeah. the other person said, then you were not a Christian. Isn't uh, part of Christianity not to judge anyone? Yeah. James chapter 5, New Testament, judge not that ye be not judged. Oh, it's... It's, it's terrible uh, what we can do in the name of religion and just turn it totally upside down. Uh, it, it is, like I say, it's one of the great tragedies. And I think it's one of the reasons we're having so much, we're having so much trouble right now in, in our own country and around the world. Um, because religion just kept going farther and farther and farther away from the original message of the founder and, and justifying it all the time, you know, and then pretty much uh, fell apart. I don't mean to get political uh, here, but when you hear the term faith-based initiative, which is the acronym for FBI, and yeah. a lot of the pastors have to report wow. and say certain things to continue the narrative, that makes yeah. me wonder, too. I don't mean to bring this up, Jacob. It just came up in my mind, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's true. Um, uh, I know with me, it came to a point when I had to make this decision, do I leave religion or not? Uh, it came to a point because I, I think we talked about this a long time ago, a couple of years ago when we, when we first talked. Um, when I was a Christian pastor to begin with, I was a fundamentalist and then I became an evangelical, a very conservative evangelical. And uh, one day, my religion just fell apart. Um, I was, I'll never forget the day it happened, the time it happened. Uh, I was sitting at my desk putting together a sermon and uh, I was doing it the way I normally did. I was finding all of these scripture verses and putting them all together and nailing them all into some kind of a framework and, uh, and putting them together to the point where I could say this, this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait a minute. You're not talking about God. You're talking about a narrow interpretation of the Bible. That's what you're defending. And, of course, you see right away where that leaves. Because if you can prove, I mean, if your whole religion and your faith is based on a particular understanding of the Bible, and especially when that's a literal understanding of the Bible, and then you can prove that somewhere in the Bible there are uh, discrepancies and uh, you know things that one verse doesn't agree with another, 
well, then your whole religion falls apart. And that's exactly what happened to me. And I thought I'd have to leave the ministry. I really did. I, I, I thought I was going to have to quit. And um, I, that's when I decided to go on my first spiritual retreat. I had built a cabin up in the woods of New Hampshire. Um, I, I hope hope I can tell you this story all, all right. But sure. I had built this uh, cabin you know, up in New Hampshire, and I was going to go up there for three days. And, you know, there were no cell phones then. There were no computers back then either. And uh, I was going to decide, uh, do I continue as a minister or as a, as a Christian minister or do I quit? Do I leave? And about the third day, um, and, and it's funny, I didn't realize I was going on a Native American vision quest, but that's exactly what it was. Uh, after the third day, I decided to walk up this mountain and hike up this mountain that I had been up many times before, uh, Middle Barrett Mountain outside of New Ipswich, New Hampshire. And I, I loved that climb because it was a good hard climb. It'd make you sweat a little bit and you get to the top. Best of all, when I got to the very top and the, the trees got up above the tree line and it was open, you could see forever. And there was a great vista. I had never seen anybody up there. So, okay, I climbed up the mountain and I got to the top of the mountain and I was puffing and I stepped out of the trees and I expected to see this clearing that I've been into a million times before with the bare rock. And there was a nude woman sunbathing on the rock up there. <laughs> and I panicked. I was a fundamentalist minister. There's nothing more scary than a naked human body to a fundamentalist minister, you know. And I, I was sure that I was going to get in trouble, just like, you know, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament story. You know, he had to flee for his life. And so I went to turn around and head back into the woods. And she called me. She says, hey, come on over. Join me. Well, Man, what do you say to a nude woman on the rock, right? So I walked up there, and I sat down, and we just started talking. That afternoon passed like a flash. We, She was into everything that I had always said was wrong about religion. She was into crystals, and she was into ESP, and she was into channeling, and she was into all this stuff. And uh, you know, I just wanted to listen to hear her talk. What really got me was she was really interested in hearing what made me take spiritually. She asked me questions about the Bible, and some of them were kind of tough. I couldn't really answer them. And I realized on that afternoon I was having the first real spiritual ex uh, talk that I had had for weeks and for well, for years, for that matter. Maybe the first ever two spiritual seekers from two totally different points of view and yet we could get up there and talk to each other and really help each other along the way and i think we did help each other and when i came down off that mountain you know i i left and i said hey man i don't even know your name and she said is it important and she went one way down the mountain and i went down the other i to this day i'm sure god has a sense of humor i mean if if a fundamentalist minister uh, is looking for God, just like Moses, you know, Moses goes up the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments. I went up the mountain and he introduced me to a nude woman on the rock. Uh, you know, that, that's God's got to have a sense of humor. If that, that was, if that was the equivalent the of the burning, the burning tree. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. And I came down and I realized I could still stay a Christian minister, but my whole import had to change. Everything I looked at had to change. I had to be a lot more open. I had to be, oh, I just had to 
completely changed my mind about so many things. But I came down, and to this day, instead of marking the end of my my Christian ministry, I think it marked the beginning. I really do. Uh, that's when everything changed for me, and that's when I began to open up to the nature and finding God in nature. And I uh, had a lot of tremendous experiences that would have been understood by uh, Native American. As a matter of fact, I studied for a while with a Native American um, a speaker, uh, an elder from the Ojibwe tribe uh, who came out to New England once every year. And I, I studied with him for a while. And when I told him the whole stories about some of the things I was doing, uh, it, it, some of the experiences I've had, he, he just kind of yawned. And he said, yeah, yeah. I, I said, you don't seem very interested. He said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just that it's so common. And I didn't know anything about these uh, vision quests. I didn't know anything about totem animals. I didn't know about anything about receiving any of these these kinds of messages from nature. And yet to him, it was just all that. And he used to kid me. He used to look at me and said, how come when your God talks back to you, you know, it's it's uh, it's spirituality. When our God ta- talks back, it's superstition. Mm. And I said, You're absolutely right. What a tremendous gift that was to study with him. Very interesting. Now, here's a good question. I asked the majority of our guests discussing similar topics, and, and I always okay. get a different answer, Jim. What is your uh, definition uh, of consciousness? Consciousness, now this is just me, of course, because con- that's a huge argument going on in, in academic and scientific circles right there. Uh, consciousness, I think, is the source. It's where it all begins. Uh, when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created, I think we can just as easily say, in the beginning, consciousness created. Uh, consciousness, to me, is God. Uh, it, it is, I, l- let, me, let me give you my own kind of idea. I I'm, 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 have to assure your listeners, believe me, I'm not talking about uh, starting a new religion, and I'm not even saying this is the way it is. But let me give you my idea about who we are and why we are here and the meaning of life. <laughs> How about that? In a couple of minutes, I'll cover all of that. Um, in the beginning, I, I think we have to go to what I call the eternal source. In the source, there is nothing but unity and peace and perfection and oneness. That's the beginning. Now, I don't call that consciousness, but I call that the source. It's the the wheel of samsara spinning round and around, and the source is the still point in the middle of the circle. Now, there's a problem in complete unity and in complete oneness. You cannot experience individuality in the source. The only way you can experience individuality is to make a courageous decision to leave the source and act as a um, a messenger so to speak to go out and gather what it means to be an individuality and i think when we leave the source we then enter into what i call consciousness uh so i like to call it the mind of god uh there in consciousness is um the the total idea of possibility of all that is. And in consciousness, we can begin to develop the individuality that goes out to gather the experiences that we're experiencing here. But in order, we can't stop there. We have to keep going. So we leave that first uh, experience of consciousness, of awareness, 
that there might be an I and a you of individuality. We leave that and we enter into the first field, and that's what I call the Akashic field. Uh, the Akashic field is the field of, of thoughts and intuitions and possibilities and probabilities. Everything is possible. And that's exactly what we left the source for, to experience everything that is possible and then having experienced it to come back. So we go through this Akashic field where there are possibilities and probabilities of infinite. And we enter into the next stage, which is what we have just recently discovered 100 years ago called quantum reality. That's what I like to call thoughts and intuitions. In quantum reality, there is the possibility of seeing every single possibility, but there has to be an observer. So we're in quantum reality, which is just pure energy. There's no manifestation of any kind of physica physicality yet. There we have thoughts and intuitions. Uh, Plato, Plato said it was like this. He, sa he said a horse is not really a horse. It's just a manifestation of horseness. And in quantum reality, horses don't exist, but horseness, the possibility of horses exists, that kind of thing. So there in quantum reality, we have to make the next step. We have to go through another field, and that's through the newly discovered Higgs field. The Higgs field, um, we can't get into all the physics of it here, obviously, because it's just too complicated. But um, in, in the Higgs field, energy uh, passing through the Higgs field takes on mass. Uh, Einstein gave us the great equation for it, E equals mc squared. Energy and mass are the same thing. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. So we go through the Higgs field, and it kind of, well, it's a poor thing, but it slows down the energy. And when we go through that Higgs field, we enter into this perception realm where we are right now, and that's material reality manifested. That's what where we're living right now. And we're here for a purpose. We're here to gather the experience of what it is to be individual. That means we have an ego. Ego is simply a name for individuality. And uh, ego can be a wonderful thing. It can be a horrible thing. It depends on how whether we can control it or not. But here we are gathering experiences. Um, what is it to be an individual? What is it to love? What is it to hate? What is it to live? What is it to die? Uh, what is it to be healthy? What is it to be sick? We experience all of this stuff. And when this body, this physical body here in the perception realm in which we live, when this dies, we have all of this experience and we go back from physical manifestation, we go back through the Higgs field, we go back into quantum reality, we go back through the Akashic field, we go back into consciousness, into the mind of God, and we carry that experience with us. I think when people talk about the Akashic record, um, one of the things that they're talking about is the record of our lives. Everybody, when they die, they all say the same thing. I've talked to a lot of people who have died and come back with near-death experiences, and they say the same thing. My whole life flashed before my eyes. Well, I think it does, because what, what we are doing is relating all of the wisdom, uh, both good and bad, that we picked up here in this perception realm, and it's being recorded forever. Why? Because it's the only way that the source can grow. And so, in effect, 
what I'm really saying, I guess, is that let's call the source God. Well, then we are God as well. We are God coming into this perception realm. Uh, if you want to use a metaphor from Christianity, you could say we are we are Jesus come to earth to experience and then to go back and to take that experience and to accomplish what we can. Um, the Bible says what? Know ye not that ye are gods? Says that both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, we are those little splinters, so to speak, individual splinters coming here to experience what it is and then to take that experience back to the source so that the source can grow. Um, it's a wonderful thing to think about. It sounds almost blasphemous, I know, unless you're really, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not making it so simplistic that I'm being misunderstood, but it's 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 a wonderful thing to say that we come out here and here in this life we need God. But you know what? God needs us just as much because we came here for a purpose and to gather the essence of this life and to go back to the source so that the source can grow ever, ever bigger. And this is going on in multiple universes, in multiple dimensions, in an infinite variety. A uh, variety of of time and space, so that the source can continue to grow. I don't know. To to me, I, it 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 that whole concept brings a a kind of joy, a kind of comfort when things are going really bad. I say, well, <laughs> can't wait to share this around the campfire back at the source. You know? <laughs> well, you mentioned the word ego, a very important word. I think ego is a survival mechanism, and the way to transcend the ego is through awareness of the ego to know it. To yeah. recognize it so we can tame it. But what is the role of consciousness in spirituality? Uh, wow. That's a good question, Mel. Um, I think we have to ask the other way around. I think we have to say, what is the, the, um, the role of spirituality in consciousness? Because I think consciousness is the biggie. That's all that is. And we come down here and we experience that consciousness within this material perception realm and um, and take that back to consciousness. So I, I think spirituality is the understanding that there is so much bigger than us, that we are not just our bodies, that there is so much more. And that more is consciousness. Does that make any sense or did I just dodge the question? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a very subject. This is why I said I ask you just like I ask everyone else because everyone else has a different perspective and an answer yeah. to the question. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, now, let me give a bit. I'll get a bit technical here. I don't want to bore people, but the Higgs <laughs> field or the Higgs yeah. mechanism, some call it the God particle, which I yeah. believe is what CERN is experimenting with, the, the, the yes, Higgs right. bosom. What is the role of the Higgs field in manifesting our perception realm? It's it's funny. Um, when you talk about the Higgs field to scientists over here, they always use the word molasses. When you talk about the Higgs field to scientists in the UK, they'll talk about treacle. Right. Uh, it, it's a metaphor as energy passes through the Higgs field, it slows down and takes on matter. Um, our, so our, our bodies, we know, are, are just energy. Um, you know, our bodies, you keep getting smaller and smaller, keep peeling away the layer, layers of the onion, and pretty soon you get down to nothing um, except the energy and the the the. we get down to the atom. We thought once that was the smallest thing that there was. Now we know 
it's electrons, it's protons, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger until pretty soon it just disappears into nothing. <laughs> it's hard to believe that everything that we are comes is really made up of nothing. It's hard to get our minds around that. But that's the function of the Higgs field. Uh, as energy uh, passes through, I, you can even call it spiritual energy, I suppose, but as it passes through, that Higgs field, and and CERN, like you say, CERN has discovered it. I, I can't believe the mathematics of the whole thing was worked out by Peter Higgs in Scotland. And uh, just using a you know, basically a slide rule and a early computer and pencil and paper worked out the math. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, he never expected in his lifetime that we would actually discover the reality of this thing. But we did in, with, with CERN. And so he was. He came over there, and they they brought him over, and they said we had to show it. And they showed the evidence, and the room was filled with people from all over the world. There wasn't a dry eye in the house when they said we've got it. We discovered the Higgs boson. We discovered the Higgs field named after Peter Higgs. And uh, uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was just a, a beautiful thing to see. I, I wasn't there, of course. I but I saw it on, on, on TV. It was just such a, a, a beautiful thing to say that we have discovered the mechanism whereby energy takes on mass. We've discovered the mechanism that proves Einstein's uh, theory that E energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Fantastic. Just fantastic. I'd like to refer the audience to the experiment done. I believe it was in the early 1800s, the Akari insects. Have you ever heard about that? No, no, that's not that's also after after the show, I'll send you a link. Basically, this scientist replicated this this experiment. He put a, a took a, a glass dome and he hit it with electric, electricity. All of a sudden, insects would materialize. And he started that oh. more than once in different oh. years. So it's puzzling to know, and there was absolutely nothing, nothing. So he replicated the experiment. So the question is, how does that happen? Electricity, yeah. all of a sudden, manifested uh, living beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's we we talk about physics being at the basis of everything. Um, I think physics is wonderful. I, I think science, the whole process of science, is is awe inspiring. Um, but on the other hand, I think there are things that we are just beginning to intuit, um, just beginning to get our minds around, showing that uh, time is like nothing that we know. Uh, materialism is like nothing that we know. Here are these bodies which feel so solid. And I'm sitting here in my office looking out, surrounded by windows and looking at trees that look so real. And I realize you dig down deep enough into them and they just disappear because uh, – you know, we can go down from the physical body to cells to atoms to protons to and then poof, it's gone. So here we are. Uh, I think the Hindus were absolutely correct when they called this whole thing Maya, the illusion. Um, this is uh, we we are living in an illusion. It appears so real to us, and it has to because otherwise we wouldn't be able to experience it in reality if we absolutely knew how the whole thing worked. <laughs> I think sometimes one of the, the the most profound songs ever written was that round that everybody learns when they're a kid. Row, row, row your boat 
down the gently down the stream, the stream of life, the body. Merrily, merrily, life is but a dream. And it's a dream that uh, we're experiencing, and it seems so real, and it seems so positive, and we simply have to think there's nothing else but this. But someday we're going to wake up from that dream, and we'll find ourselves back in that source, perfect unity, perfect oneness. Uh, uh, I, sometimes I just can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, for the listeners who wonder what I said about Andrew Cross, C-R-O-S-S, he he was a British scientist who was born and died. Uh, let's see, Cross was an early pioneer and experimenter in the use of electricity. He became known after press reports of an electrocrystallization of experiment he conducted in 1836, during which insects appeared. Wow. Now, wh who do you think are the supernatural gods? Where do they exist? Here? Another dimension? Yeah, yeah. You know, I wrote... Um, a, a book a few years ago. Um, matter of fact, I think we may have talked. I think I wrote. I think we may have talked about this book last time we talked. Uh, called Ancient Gods. Yes. And in that book, I uh, put forth the uh, theory, um, along with uh, Graham Hancock, Andrew Collins, and other people who write about this. I put forth the theory that what the ancients called gods were really a uh, a superior race of human an advanced civilization that was destroyed uh probably during the uh, younger dryas comet strike um, that sparked the theories of atlantis and and all the rest of them and and these these people were so advanced that to the hunter gatherers who survived the great cataclysm of the collapse of the younger dryas um, these people were so advanced that that they mistook them for gods um, who who was it that uh, uh, that said any? Um, oh, you mentioned his name earlier. Now it's just escaping me. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, right? Who said any um, advanced technology that is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. magic. Yeah, yeah, indistinguishable from magic. And uh, so I put I, in in that book. That was the idea that uh, you know the the gods that we worship today are are really uh, remembrances, historical tribal memories of this advanced race. But when I put that book to bed and sent it off to the publisher, I said, you know what, that just doesn't do it. It hasn't gone far enough. Um, do I still believe that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's one thing. But I had to follow it up with a book called Supernatural Gods. And in the book Supernatural Gods, I had to to go uh, farther and say that that isn't the only explanation, because through uh, first of all through dowsing and second of all through uh, intense meditation and and out of body experiences of my own, um, I've I've come to see that there are limitless dimensions beyond this one that we can't see with these eyes. Uh, I like to to say that basically we live in a uh, a fivefold fence. Right now, and the 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 fivefold fence that surrounds us is made up of touch, sight, smell, hearing, and taste. Um, these are our our senses, our five senses, and this is how we experience the world. And we think that's all there is. I think there's a uh, there's probably a a, a a roof over those that fence that's called the intellect. We really worship the intellect. We like to think that we can think our way into all of these things. But when we break out of that five-fold fence 
And when we just kind of leave the intellect uh, behind and realize that we're more than any of that, and we go outside, we discover that what we call reality is what is contained within that fence. That's not reality at all. The real reality is what's outside the fence. And if we can get there through shamanic experiences, through out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, uh, through drumming, meditation, uh, ayahuasca, even LSD and things like that, there have been people who have broken out of that fence and seen the real reality that's out there. You begin to see that there are just uh, not one or two separate dimensions, but an infinite number of dimensions that are full of beings and entities that we can't possibly understand. Uh, and yet they are just as excited about meeting us as we are about meeting them. Uh, and when you take this experience back to reading the Bible, as oh, it's it's wonderful because then you realize that what I've just said is not. A kind of a far out new age thing. It's in the Bible. Um, it, it, Ezekiel and and uh, Elijah and Moses and Jesus and Peter and James and John and the Apostle Paul, uh, John in the new in the Book of Revelation. They've all had that experience of getting outside of that fivefold fence into reality, and and seeing what is there. And then coming back with the message. Isaiah, if you read the first chapter of Isaiah in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Christian Old Testament, it's amazing. Uh, Isaiah was a, a, a 6th century BCE shaman. He really was. He uh, he was uh, praying, and he was taken up out of body into the heavens. And he saw these strange creatures, which he couldn't really describe because he didn't have the words for it. Um, his language was insufficient. They were half man and half beast, uh, half angel. They had wings. They had the face of a lion or the face of a of an eagle and the face of a man. And they were uh, all these different creatures. And he saw things that he just couldn't believe. And he said, woe is me. I, I am a man of unclean lips. And an angel flew from the altar and touched his tongue and said, this has cleansed you. Look in this. And God says, echoes through the, home, through the throne room of, God, of heaven, as Isaiah describes it. Who shall I send back with a message of peace? Who shall I send back with a message of truth? And Isaiah yells out, here I am, send me. And he went back with a totally new uh, idea of, of what religion could be. That's a shamanic experience, perfect shamanic experience um, and and I think we we're seeing this all the time more and more it's I think it's really important uh, and if we get away from this and get stuck in this world of intellectualism and decide this fivefold fence and, uh, and we let our ego take over um, you mentioned the word ego and I think it's really important to bring it up in this context because uh, Ego is natural. You can't be an individual without an ego. Ego and individuality mean the same thing. The problem is what we do with it. Um, ego can become panicked because if we think of ego as an entity, as a presence, a spiritual reality, ego knows that it can only survive in this body while we are alive here in this material perception realm. Ego knows that when we die, ego dies. Uh, I received this through an out-of-body experience that I wrote in my book, Quantum Akashic Field. Uh, it was a very powerful 
powerful out-of-body experience um, in which I met this personification of ego who said uh, down in this deep pit, uh, a safe below the earth, this is where I must live after you die. And so in a sense, that ego, if we don't keep control of it, it can become Oh, to use a Christian term, almost demonic. You know, I mean, there are people who can be simply demon possessed and not by some spiritual demon flopping around someplace, but by their own ego, which possesses them to the point where it controls their life. Because ego knows that when this life is over, uh, ego dies. There's no more individuality. We go back to perfect peace, perfect unity, perfect oneness. Um, and so we, it's really important to get control of ego in this life, and it's so difficult to do. And all we have to do is turn on the news or turn on to these televangelists that we were talking about before, and you see what happens when ego runs amok and when ego begins to control things. Well, I think there's a parallel between ego and disease. We have to identify oh, yeah. the disease in order to address it. Otherwise, it remains rampant, and you know what happens if it remains unchanged. But when people go to their places of worship— whether it's a church, a synagogue, a temple, a forest, a lake, you name it. They have their own way of contacting spirits, God, the universe, a higher power via prayer, meditation, etc. How do you personally contact these spirits or entities? What methods do you use? Uh, it's it. I have my own uh, six-fold path that I follow, and I wrote about it in Quantum Akashic Field. If anybody, I hate to be commercial here, but I outline the whole passage there. Uh, to break it right down, I, I use meditation. Um, I have some shamanic friends who, for instance, use drums and uh, or who chant, uh, some Hindu friends who chant. Um, I've had some people who have used uh, peyote and, and uh, uh, ayahuasca. I've never experienced drugs of that type, so I you know, I, I'm not against it, but I'm certainly not, you know, any, I can't say anything about it. Um, but with me, it's meditation. And I found that it's, it's good for me to use uh, hemi-sync music um, invented by Robert Monroe up at the Monroe Institute, where uh, I studied for a week with um, Bill uh, Buhlman. Great, great week up there. With I, I think Bill is one of the great teachers of out-of-body experience there are in the world today. But... Um, <laughs> It, it is difficult because anybody who's ever practiced meditation knows that when you sit down to meditate, your mind just goes crazy. Uh, it, it All over the place. And it took me a long time. Bill used to teach us that if we take 30 minutes a day, 30 days, and really make it the first most important part of our life, we will have an out-of-body experience. And I did. But if I had stopped at day 28, I never would have had one. Um, and then after you've had one, then the ego comes in. Oh, boy, you're pretty fantastic. You're hot stuff. You just had a, <laughs> uh, you just had an, an out-of-body experience. Aren't, aren't you spiritually superior? And, uh, and then you, you begin to think, oh, yeah, especially when you, you go on the radio, you talk about it after you've written a book about it or something like that, and it makes you feel like, oh, boy, I'm, I'm you know. And the ego just all, it never lets up, never lets up. You've had a great experience, and so you try to duplicate it, and that doesn't do it. The only thing you can do it to quiet the mind is in this five-fold fence that we enter. You simply, you can't go into it with expectation. You can't go into it with um, a plan. I'm going to do this and this and this, and then I will have an out-of-body experience or I will get out of this body. 
you simply have to quiet and come down to what uh, the Buddhists call that one-point meditation, and uh, where your mind is just perfectly at rest, as it was in the source. And then when it happens, and it will happen, something will happen, when that happens, the nearest thing to do is to get excited about it. Oh, oh, oh here, here it comes. I'm going. I'm here. And then you're snap right back in again. Uh, I'm not going to say it's easy. It isn't. It isn't. It takes work. And uh, <laughs> the old Zen thing it takes a lot of work. Well, what kind of work? Well, you, you get it by not working, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But that's what I have done. And uh, when I'm in the right when my body, if, if, if I meditate when my body is too tired, I fall asleep. If I meditate when I'm too wired, I can't get down to one point meditation. And it certainly doesn't happen every time. It doesn't even happen most of the time I meditate. But when it does, you're aware of it. And if you can ride it, you can get some wonderful, wonderful experiences. That's for sure. Do you remember your first out of body experience? Where did you go? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first time it happened to me, I was in a hot tub, <laughs> and uh, I was I had some meditation music going on. My wife and I were sitting back in our hot tub in the middle of the woods. The moon was out, and I thought I just went to sleep. And uh, I came up from the hot tub, you know, and I just looked at my wife, and she was looking at me, and her mouth was open, and her eyes were wide open. And she, I said, "What? What? What happened?" Well, apparently, I had channeled. Uh, the one who was to become my spirit guide. And I had spoken, and she quick wrote the words down. So she got out of the hot tub, she wrote the words down that I had said, and uh, I had no memory of it. And it really, it really kind of made me uh, worried because, wow, uh, I mean, what what fun is it to have an out of body experience if you don't know what it was? But I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't, have, I didn't, I just had no memory, but there were the words. And that happened four or five times until I began to really seriously find I, – I had to find a time when I was awake and yet not wired. And for me, believe it or not, that time was 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, every night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I would wake up a couple of minutes before 3. And I had had enough sleep to where I was awake, but I wasn't wired with the morning, the next day's activities yet. And I would put on hemi-sync music. And uh, eventually, I felt something shift in my body. And this has happened innumerable times since. It's almost like your body is full of water, and it all sloshes to one side. Uh, first time that happened, I knew something was happening. And I got so excited, I it didn't go any farther. But then when I analyzed it and realized what had happened, um, I was able, the second time it happened, a couple of weeks later, I was able to ride it and go with it. And I met a, a spirit guide who, to this day, I call Sabuko. Matter of fact, I, I just sent in a, a, a new book that hopefully will come out next year. Uh, and it's called Sabuko and Me. And it's the story of how my spirit guide, uh, Sabuko, met me. He, an old Indian shaman who lived on the very spot of, same spot of ground that I live on right now, way back when. And uh, it was just a, it's just been a tremendous, tremendous experience. That's great to hear because I've been trying out-of-body experience probably for over 30 some years. And the thing is, 
as you said, if you're too awake, you, you're distracted, yeah. the phone rings. And now with social media and all these oh, gadgets yeah. that we carry, like uh, limbs, it's very difficult. You have to disconnect yourself from this. And if you're too tired, you fall asleep. So I need to find a perfect balance to do so. It's really hard. To be honest, I had to retire and come up here to the woods and, and live up here. And it was months before I really could calm down. Uh, I used to think that if I could go off on a long bicycle ride or if I go off on a long hike, you know, and hike for four or five days out in the woods or something like that, that would do it. Or if I could, you know, just go out to my cabin and stay for four or five days. Um, in, in today's world, it's just so difficult. We have constructed this crazy, loud, vast culture that just comes at us from so many different yeah. directions. And it's very, very difficult. I had to literally leave and come out here to the woods and, uh, um, like I said, I can't, I can't leave here now because it, it, to go back into that kind of life again, um, no, it would, it would kill me. It really yeah. would. Honestly, I think, I don't know your long, your genetics or epigenetics, but judging by your age and the, the, how eloquent you are, I think this absolutely helps you where you live. Well, I, it, I couldn't have done it without it. Uh, and, and we were, I just didn't decide to come up to a place in the woods. We were, we were literally led here. Uh, I came up here because I needed to find a place and this place just felt right when I, uh, the, uh, I, <laughs> it was a kind of a funny story. I was living down in Florida <clears throat> and I knew I was going to be, uh, retiring at some point in the next five, six years. And, uh, I don't understand the Florida woods. I don't understand. Uh, I, I've never been a Southerner that's to that extent. Um, I needed hardwoods and pines and things that I was used to. So I, I drew a, a circle on a map that was just six hours. I knew if it was any longer than six hours, it'd take me too long to get up here and I wouldn't come up here very much. But uh, I drew a circle and I found this little place that looked interesting. Um, and I wrote to a, three real estate agents and only one of them got back to me and he said, yeah, come on up. I'll show you some places that I think I, you know, you might like, well, just for the fun of it, uh, I came up here and I spent a day with him and he brought me up here. This first place he took me and, uh, it was, it had never been, uh, it, it was just a woods. Uh, it was probably a pasture at one time, but it had never been farmed and it had never been settled. There was never a house here or anything. And there were rocks all over the place, granite rocks, all just all over the place and everything else. And it just felt right to me. And I took some pictures and sent, and went back to my wife and she looked at them. And uh, then <laughs> I wanted to get a feeling for what the culture was like up, like up here. So I went online and uh, there were some newspapers in the local towns around here that, especially back 13 years ago, published weekly papers. And some of them were carrying um, a, a series of articles on religion called the ABCs of religion. Uh, and it would take one one letter a day. And A is for Aaron, B is for Baptist, C is for Catholic, and that kind of thing. And uh, I happened to find <laughs> this place up here to paper just north of us and it was the name of the article in this particular day was you is for unitarian and i read it and boy i thought wow this guy knows his stuff is pretty good so i got i said hey barb come on in here and she she came in and i read it to her and i was she was laughing by the time i finished i said what are you laughing at this guy's good and she said well he better be you wrote it <laughs> and i said what and sure enough down at the bottom 
the credit was given to uh, Jim Willis, author of the Religion Book. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And they were, and it turned into rock. So I said, "Well, there's a sign." So you know, we came up here and we we loved it. We moved a trailer up here for a while so we could live until we built up. I could build the house that we're in right now. And little did we know that we, and we only discovered this later. This has been uh, inhabited by ancients we've found old arrowheads and we have found oh uh, digging tools and stone this and stone that and stone piles and rock cairns and debitage and people have been coming up here because it, all the rocks that were up here drew them up here uh, when they had to gather the rough material they needed to make their tools for the year and so here we're living in a place where ancient tribes used to gather probably at the winter solstice and they even went so far as to build a series of rock cairns that we've discovered them all we knew there was a pattern to them but didn't know what it was until i got a friend of mine up here who was a surveyor with all the uh, bells and whistles and the fancy tech tools and i took him to all of these rock cairns and he plotted them out exactly on his gps and then we went up to his office and he put them on a map on a piece of paper for me printed them out on a piece of paper i couldn't believe my eyes because on the ground in these rock cairns these rock piles that we had found some of them buried, some of them still poking up through the surface, was exactly the same pattern you see in the night sky at the winter solstice of the Northern Cross, Cygnus the Swan. And there was a place up, uh, up uh, right on our property that apparently once was a rock pile in the shape of uh, the Cygnus the, the, uh, the Swan. And they have been probably coming up here for, well, right down the river from us is the Topper site, which has evidence of human beings 40,000 years ago. And it's right down the river. If they were down there, they were probably up here. So as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm sitting in an office on an energy line that is right near a, a rock place that I call the Shaman Circle. I go up there every day to meditate, where people gathered and um, danced and meditated and sang and worked and raised families and then moved on and then they came back every year at the same time. And if they would build a fire at each one of these rock cairns, uh, each one of them is built on top of a little ridge and without the trees, which back then the trees weren't here, this was grassland back then, you could look at that fire, though those fires, and you could see on the earth exactly a representation of what you could see over your head in the sky in the Northern Cross. Um, as it is above, so below. They would duplicate the Northern Cross, which sits high in the sky over this place uh, in the middle of December. And they would duplicate it on the ground. And it, there must have been some tremendous ceremonies here. Now, of course, we didn't know this. We didn't know it when we came here, but it, that, we've all learned that since. I can feel the peace and the excitement from your voice when you describe that location. But we have to take a one and only break. Let me just say this. You mentioned the Unitarian Church. By the way, free and responsible search for truth and meaning. That's it. That's what people that go to that church want to seek in. <laughs> Truth is yep, it's yep. my it's my priority in life. But when we come back, yep. I want to discuss a question that comes up all the time. 
why were some old texts not included in the final cut when the Bible was put together? Who wrote the Bible? And what was about the book of Enoch? What is it about the book of Enoch, which is one of, is it 14 or 15 books that were removed from the Bible, Jim? Oh, many more. Many, many more. more. That. Let's discuss yeah. that when we come back, because this is very mysterious. Also, I want to discuss the connection between the Vatican, Rome, and Egypt and the Ottoman Empire, which is now Turkey. Whenever I go to the Vatican, I always wonder, that obelisk that's there in St. Peter's Square, all these Egyptian artifacts. And Dolores Cannon, one of our guests who passed away a few years ago, told me that, uh, I'll tell the story when I come back, but I want to see the connection. I believe you have researched this in detail. How can people buy your books, which are many to mention, Jim? Uh, easiest way is just to go to my website, www.jimwillis.net. Uh, there are links there to my, also to my Facebook page and to my YouTube page. We're doing videos uh, every couple of weeks. We put up some new videos on YouTube. And uh, but there is a a place in the website where it says books, and you look at them all. And there's reviews and good and bad and everything else. All you gotta do is click on them. On, click on them. They're also, of course, at Amazon or at the local publishers too. So any any place books are sold. Folks, don't go anywhere. Always a fascinating and enlightening discussion with Jim Willis. This is Mel Hustlerick. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now. Proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.